Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. In this episode, two recovered alcoholics break down one chapter of the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous line by line. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, so uh, my name is Kelly and I'm a grateful recovered alcoholic. Um, Today we are going through uh, Into Action, which is on page 72 of the Big Book. Um, And so far... um, we have uh, basically read about the, the history of, of AA. We've learned a little bit about alcoholism. And um, we've started uh, dipping our toes into the solution, um, which um, required us to um, make an, an inventory of our resentments and our fears and our sex conduct. Um, so now I've got my list and um, this chapter into action is going to tell me what to do with it, what actions I need to take um, in order to continue with the steps. Because um, we know that so far what we've done, there's not been too much, too much action. And so now we're going we're gonna to get into it. So, um, all right, I'm going to start reading on page 72. Okay. Having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? Uh, We've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator, and to discover the obstacles in our path. We have admitted certain defects. We have ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. This requires action on our part, which, when completed, will mean that we have admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of uh, recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. So in the last chapter, it was talking—I like the illustration that it used about— Uh, If you're like the manager of a store and you have goods um, on your shelf that aren't selling or they're unsaleable, um, you need to get rid of those. So at me as a manager for a store, I don't just go through the refrigerators and the shelves, make a list of the things that I need to get rid of, and then just leave them there. I need to take action as a manager, uh, take those items off the shelf and throw them away or donate them. Um, but, um, so that's what this chapter's, you know, gonna, um, help me with is my unsaleable goods, which are my character defects and my fears. Um, it's, um, gonna help me to, um, to really take a, a good hard look at those. And, um, it's going to enable me to, um, allow God to cast those out of my life. So this is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we've done well enough in admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. 
They took inventory all right, but they hung on to some of the worst items in the stock. They only thought they had uh, lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves, but they had not learned enough humility, fearlessness, and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone all their life story. Um, so I need somebody else to tell my life story to. I need somebody else um, to, to share my list that I made um, in the last chapter with, because what I've been doing all my life is I've been um, doing a self-appraisal um, and um, basically, you know, deciding, well, this, this resentment is justified or um, this fear makes sense given what I've experienced. Um, so I have been judging um, my resentments uh, myself and I know that that's not working for me because I'm continuing to drink. So something has to change and I need to find somebody with um, who's in a neutral position who won't judge me for what it is I'm about to tell them that can provide me with a different, fresh perspective um, and can help me to see the things that I haven't been able to see um, because my judgment is um, clouded by uh, my selfishness and my self-centeredness. Uh, so for somebody in whom the problem has been solved, who's worked through these steps to be able to show me what they've seen in their own lives and, and what they're able to see from their point of view um, is very helpful to me. Um, more than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. And this is one of my, one of my favorite paragraphs um, to read. This was one of my favorite paragraphs to read when I first got sober because I felt like it described um, my uh, relationship with alcohol and the way that I lived my life so much because I, I felt like I was living a double life. It says he's very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he's revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension. That makes for more drinking. Like, I can't tell you how many times I woke up after a night of drinking thinking, uh, who did I call? Who did I text? Where did I even go? Um, and so um, I feel like these, these paragraphs right here um, beautifully illustrate the, <clears throat> the fear and the terror that I felt as an alcoholic and also that just um, that shame that I carried around um, with, with all the different things that I did and that I said. Um, feeling like in myself, like I could not tell anyone um, about the things that were going on in my mind because I felt like it would ruin my reputation. And I feel like, I felt like people would think less of me. So being able to um, share these things with somebody who's also an alcoholic, um, who won't judge me for these things because she most likely has done them or a version of them herself um, that's a safe place for me to be able to share these things with her. And I don't have to worry about them just constantly being on my mind or pushing them down to where I don't have to think about them anymore. Um, and where like on the shelves that, that you know, I'm the, the goods on the shelves that I, that I manage, I don't have to worry about those things just sitting on the shelves and rotting away. I can get rid of them. Um, 
Psychologists are inclined to agree with us. We have spent thousands of dollars for examinations. We know but few instances where we have uh, given these doctors a fair break. We have seldom told them the whole truth, nor have we followed their advice. Unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men, we were honest with no one else. Small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person or person with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us, excuse me, those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must, and of course, will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with somebody ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. So this is why it's so important for us to um, uh, do this with another alcoholic, um, a recovered alcoholic. Um, Back when this book was written, um, there were not many recovered alcoholics um, who have done these steps, uh, be, just because, you know, the book had, you know, but there was no internet, um, and the book wasn't widely available. So, um, but now what's really awesome is even if I don't have anybody like immediately in the vicinity to, to help me go through these steps, I have awesome tools like my phone, I've got zoom, I I've got so many tools at my fingertips um, that I can use to get connected to um, a sponsor so that she can help take me through these steps. So it, the book's going to talk about like, if there's nobody around, um, you know, you, you don't have to do this step just right now. We don't really have an excuse for that. Um, there, you know, we've got how many ladies in here who are um, willing to sponsor. Um, there's always somebody. So it's, you just have to, um, you know, you just, Pick somebody. Um, if we cannot or would rather not do this, we search for we search our acquaintance for a closed mouth, understanding friend. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the person. It may be one of our own family, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or parents, which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at another person's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand, yet be unaffected. The rule is we, we must be hard on ourselves, but always considerate of others. And so that's just another, you know, another reason why we need to find a sponsor. There's somebody who will understand because they've been through what we've been through, but they'll be unaffected. Um, there would be no judgments. Um, they, they'll just be, a, you know, like a third party helping us to understand our character defects and um, work through our resentments and our fears and Notwithstanding great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. If that is so, this step may be postponed only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep comp- a confidence, that he fully understand and approve what we are driving at, that he will not try to change our plan but we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. When we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have written an inventory and we are prepared for a long talk. We explain to our partner what we are about to do and why we have to do it. 
he should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand. Most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. Um, and, um, you know, just like what it says in that very first um, sentence, we waste no time. Um, so these steps are all about, you know, working through one and getting started right, right on the next one as soon as possible. Um, and this is just because I know myself as an alcoholic, um, if I don't have a solution other than alcohol, um, I will go right straight back to alcohol, um, forgetting my reasons of why I wanted to stop in the first place. Um, so I need to make sure that I work quickly to find this solution so that I don't go back to alcohol. All right. We pocket our pride and go to it, uh, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken the step, withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come on strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, um, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Taking this book down from our shelf, we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we have omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free man at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimmed on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? So here I see the, the real importance of being thorough and honest. Um, I cannot hold back anything in this step, in, in my fifth step with my sponsor, um, because I know that um, from experience, the things that I keep secret, um, the things that I have done will eat away at me. And will either make me feel very unpleasant or will lead me back to drinking. Um, so, and then here it also gives me um, some really um, specific steps. So I, it tells me that I return home and I find a place where I can be quiet for an hour. And we, we take the book literally because this is our textbook. So I find a place where I can sit and be quiet for, for an hour. I carefully review what I've done. I look at my, um, my fourth step that my sponsor and I have gone over and I carefully review what it is that I've done. And I look at, um, perhaps the notes that I've made on it. Um, I reflect on the character defects that my sponsor has pointed out and the character defects I've realized that I've had. Um, I thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. Um, and I take this book down from my shelf and I turn to the page, which contains the 12 steps. I read the first five proposals and I see if I've admitted anything. I see if I've done a thorough job. If I am satisfied that I have, it says on the next page on page 76, if I can answer to my satisfaction, then we look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can, we, can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. Um, so if I can look back on the things that I've 
listed on my fourth step and the things that were talked about during my fifth step. And I see that um, I've done a thorough job. I've listed everything. There's nothing that I left out. Um, am I willing to let God take these from me? Am I willing to throw out um, my, my rotten goods that are on my shelf? Um, if, I'm, if I'm ready and if I'm willing, um, then I go on to say the next prayer. If I'm not, um, if there are still some things that I'm holding on to, if there's a resentment that I'm holding on to that I'm not sure that I'll be able to let that go, or if there's a fear that I've had that I'm not sure I'll be able to let go, um, like for me, it was a fear of driving was one of the things that I was still fearful still fearful of, but I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to let that go. All I had to do was just ask God to help me to please be willing. Um, because I knew that um, I was willing, I was willing to continue going on with the rest of these things. And I knew that letting go of those resentments and those fears were going to help me be successful in my sobriety. But as somebody who, you know, as an alcoholic, um, those fears and those resentments were a way of my life. And the writers of this book, I think they understand that. Um, so all I have to do is just be willing. Um, but it goes on to say, when we're ready, we say something like this. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character, which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. All right. So I've prayed my prayer. I've asked God to remove from me every single defect of character. Um, I'm willing that he should have all of me, good and bad, um, which I love because it highlights that there are still some good parts about me, even after I went over all the awful things that I did in my fourth step. Um, very reassuring because I was fairly certain I was the worst person in the world. Um, so now, now I have to um, you know, ask God for strength as I go out from here to do uh, his bidding. Next paragraph goes on to say, now we need more action, without which we find that faith without works is dead. Uh, so now I need more action. So the, first, the action of me talking to my sponsor about all the things that I've done and all the resentments and the fears that I have um, was not enough action. There needs to be more, um, which I feel like the, the title of this chapter is very aptly named because it just talks about all the different actions I need to do. Um, let's look at step seven. Uh, Sorry, let's look at steps eight and nine. We have a list of all the persons we have harmed and to whom we are willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. Um, sorry, we made it. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed um, at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And I love that they put that reminder there because at this point when I'm about to start doing the real scary stuff, now I have to go talk to all the people that I've harmed. I need to be reminded that I, I need to be willing to go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And that's any lengths. And that's what I agreed upon. Um, in step three, when, when I decided to continue on with the rest of the work, I was willing to go at any lengths. Probably there are still some misgivings. Oops, I'm going too slow. 
Probably there are still some misgivings. As we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, we may feel diffident about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured. To some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. We might prejudice them. At the moment, we are trying to put our lives in order, but this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. It is seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we have gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? We may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than our talk of spiritual discoveries. Um, We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we are willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. The question of how to approach the man we we hated will arise. Um, And I love this. It may be he has done more harm to us than we have done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we are still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. And going back to page 76, it says, remember, we have, we agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over alcohol. And this is one of the any lengths that we need to be willing to go through is um, taking the bit in our teeth. Um, it is harder to go to an enemy than to a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Under no uh, condition do we criticize such a person or argue. Simply we tell him that we will never get over drinking until we have done our utmost to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so, never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we will be gratified with the result. So this is... clear-cut directions on how to approach somebody um, uh, with whom we have a resentment or whom we had a resentment. Um, I don't criticize or argue. I just tell this person that I'll never get over drinking until I've done my utmost to straighten up my past. I am there to sweep off my side of the street and nothing uh, worthwhile can be accomplished until I do so. Um, In nine cases out of 10, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his own fault, so feuds of years standing melt away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally, they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We have made our demonstration, done our part. It is water over the dam. So going into this, I can't have any expectations other than I am there to sweep off my side of the street. Um, and the outcome um, will go the way it is supposed to go. Um, if I get thrown out of an office, that's fine. I've done my part. If somebody forgives me for what I've done and then they tell me about all their faults, that's fine too. I've done my part. Regardless, it's just me doing my part to clean off the side of the street so that I don't drink again. Um, most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors. Telling them what we are trying to do, we make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyway, whether we think so or not. 
nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory it may cause financial harm. Approached in this way, the most ruthless creditor will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, um, we let these people know we are sorry. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we are liable to drink if we are afraid to face them. And again, it's just, I need to be honest. I'm cleaning up my side of the street. If I don't do this, I'm, um, I, I will drink again. Um, and so I'm honest with my creditors, just like I'm honest with the people in my life that I'm making amends to. Perhaps we've committed a criminal offense, which might land us in jail if we're known to the authorities. We may, we may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this uh, in confidence to another person, but we are sure we would be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it is only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we are divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony to number one. She is uh, indignant about it and has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. Reminding our, and I have this highlighted in my book, reminding ourselves that we have decided to go to any lengths, there's that reminder again, to find a spiritual experience, we ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences may be. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we are not to be hasty and, and uh, the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got uh, an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was uh, getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if he had walked up to the judge and said, here I am. We thought he ought to be willing to do that if necessary, but if he were in jail, he could provide nothing for either family. So going through this, I need to remember how I can be most useful to those around me. And if I'm in jail, I, I, can't, be very, I can't be very useful. Um, but if that's what ends up happening, then God will find a use for me in jail too. Uh, we suggested he write his first wife admitting his faults and asking forgiveness. He did and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try to do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course she did not, and the whole situation has long since been adjusted. Before taking such drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others, and ask God to help, uh, and and ask God to help, and the drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. So this is why sponsorship is so important. I need somebody else's perspective on a situation um, sometimes, and I know that they have experience um, and can point me in the right direction as far as towards the book and towards God, um, asking God for direction. This brings to mind a story of one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival, giving him no receipt for it. He subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. 
He felt that he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If he opened that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, and take away his means of livelihood. What right had he to involve those dependents upon him? How could he possibly make a public statement exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands or he would soon start drinking again and all would be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he quietly got up and made an explanation. His action met with widespread approval and today he is one of the most trusted citizens of his town. This all happened years ago. Um, And I've seen things like this happen in my own life to where I could not possibly imagine the outcome of a particular situation. And then once I started going through and making my amends, um, the, the outcome was completely different from what I had imagined for myself. And so I just had to come to the conclusion that I can't put God in a box when it comes to me doing, um, you know, doing God's will. Um, and just doing, you know, the next best thing that I needed to do. Um, so, um, but yes, that is my, that is, uh, the first half of Into Action. I'm going to pass it on over to Tina. Thank you, Kelly. That was great. Good morning. My name is Tina and I'm a very grateful recovered alcoholic. And we are going to pick up on the bottom of page 80, the last paragraph. The chances are that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we are mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in the home. After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, and uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely, sorry for himself. He commences to look around in the nightclubs, or their equivalent, for something besides liquor. Perhaps he is having a secret and exciting affair with the girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand. But what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very resentful, remorseful, excuse me, at times, especially if he is married to a loyal and courageous girl who has literally gone through hell for him. All right, so um, we are jumping right into talking about domestic troubles and you know when we're drinking we do things that feel super justified um but the 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 book talks about how you know we get the ball rolling um and then and we step on the people that we on the toes of people that we love right um we're justified but but we know it's wrong says whatever the situation we usually have to do something about it if we are sure our wife does not does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. If she knows in a general way that we have been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we, ad- we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She will want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her that we have no right to involve another person. We are sorry for what we have done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further, though there may be justifiable ex- exceptions, and though we may wish to lay down 
no rule of any sort, we have often found this is the best course to take. And this right here just goes back to the part that Kelly went over on page 74 that says, um, you know, we don't want to cause any more harm than we already have. And, you know, sometimes the principles call for us to do what's right, not necessarily what's easy. And maybe, you know, spilling our guts is going to make us feel better, but it will not make the other person better. Um, because um, what's she going to do with it then, right? And, and, and we have involved somebody, um, we have participated in something with somebody who is a neutral, innocent victim in this. And if we go and, and put their name out there and put the details out, then the wife's going to go look for her and, um, and it's just going to keep going. Um, we, uh, we have a, a, an obligation to not disclose somebody else's name um, and leave them out of it. Says artist, and, and remember, um, even if you find that hard to understand, remember this book was written um, through a lot of experience, and so what they're writing about is 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 things that have been uh, some trial and error, right? So they they this is what works, right? Our design for living is not a one way street. It is as good for the wife as it is for the husband. If we can forget, so she can, so can she. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly say a name upon whom she can vent jealously. So there you go. Perhaps there are some cases where the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider can appraise such an intimate situation. It may be that both will decide that the way of good sense and loving kindness is to let bygones be bygones. Each might pray about it, having the other one's happiness utmost in mind. Keep it away always inside that we are dealing with that most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the face, that the problem to be attacked on the flank rather than a face-to-face combat. So the book is recommending that we take to our relationship, right? That we use this as an opportunity to be honest with each other and, and to, to look at what is potentially in our relationship rather than turning our problems out on somebody else. If we have no such complication, there's plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say that the only thing he needs to do is to get sober. Keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there will be no home if he doesn't. But yet, a long way from making good to the wife or parents, whom for years he has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with this alcoholic. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, but perhaps be dead. And so, you know, sometimes when we, we get to feeling better and we're clear-headed, we, you know, it, it's the uh, analogy of walking out of a storm cellar saying, hey, Ma, look, everything seems to be fine, um, but we've caused a lot of damage. And so even though we think just keeping sober is going to fit the bill, the book is saying that's not true because we, you know, our family's been really patient with us. Oh, well. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring through his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came up out of the cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't you see the matter here? I ain't it grand that the wind stopped blowing. And there you go. There's that story. 
page 83. Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead, and we must take the lead. If I have not heard that sentence from my sponsor once, I've heard it at least 20 times. Um, and, it, and it gives us some hope, right? That, that just because things don't clear up overnight, that's normal, right? It's telling me there's going to be a long period of reconstruction ahead. And it's also telling me that I must take the lead. And by me taking the lead, that really means that I'm using the program, right? Because Tina's not in charge anymore. I am living by these principles of this program. And so the program is going to be the framework that's going to lead um, my family through this period of reconstruction. A remorseful mumbling that we're sorry won't fit the bill at all. We ought to sit down with family and, and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. The, their defects may be glaring, but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each other in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. The spiritual life is a theory. We have to live it. And there's that italics in the word have. Like we, we must live it. And that, that means that we weave this program into our lives and it becomes a part of our everyday. Unless one's family expresses a desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we ought not urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. Okay, so we just covered a lot in that, those two paragraphs. Um, so here we are, right? We're, we're feeling better. And, and, and the weird, wild thing about, about my experience is it, it was like in an instant, I, was, um, I had a spiritual awakening and I was transformed. And now all of a sudden, I do see the, the issues in my family. I do see the shortcomings of the ones I love. And, and I'm looking at them, and, and, I'm, and in the beginning, I'm thinking, what is going on here? What is wrong with you? But I need to remember that I had a part in that, right? Because we have all evolved together, and we've been growing together. And, and, and it's been really sick. And so just because I'm better doesn't necessarily mean that the family unit is better. And that's why it goes on to say that the, that we have to live the spiritual life. But then in the next paragraph, the biggest part about this is this program is a program of attraction, not promotion. As much as I want my family members to know um, what's going on and how this works and all that, I can't push it on them. They're, they're going to see a change in me and we're, and we're just going to just keep doing this thing. And that's part of the must take the lead. They're going to see a change and they're going to get them. They're, they're going to be like, oh, I really like that. And if they feel like they need to, then they can join in and do this thing with you. But we never drag anybody along with us, even though we are really excited when we get here and, and we see all the benefits. Um, that's not our place. There may be some wrongs we can never fully write. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves that we would write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an honest letter, and there may be a valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if we can be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile or scraping. As God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. And remember, here we are, right? We're in the the section that's teaching 
us how to um, make an amends. And, you know, the amends portion of this, like Kelly mentioned, is only to clean up your side of the street. Anybody else's reaction to this is not our business. If they don't want to hear you, that's none of your business. If, if, and if there needs to be some sort of delay, it's all in God's hands. We have to trust that it's all going to happen as it should. Um, and I love this last part because I have been crawling before people for, for years because I have been needing forgiveness. I've been needing to get what I needed, which was booze. And if it meant crawling ahead of people on, you know, on my knees in front of people, I would do that. But now we, we, we keep our heads high, right? Um, we're just sick people. We're not, we're not bad people. And if, and if, um, and there's, if for some reason we need to write a letter, then we do that. If we were painstaking about this phase of our development, and here are the nine step promises, and I love these. Um, these are, this is my, my, my favorite, Pavis, if I can say the word, my favorite promises in the whole book. If we are painstaking, that means paint, that means we are doing everything that we possibly can, and we're being honest and willing and showing up and doing what our sponsor says about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. And I love this. I mean, who, who cannot, if, if you're new to recovery, I'm looking through on the, the screen on this Zoom right now, and there are women on here that, can, that, that have all had different experiences, but they can all tell you that one form of this promise or another has come true for them. And that's the hope. Um, and that's why we show up to share because it says, I'm not going to regret the um, past nor wish the door shut the door on because those are going to be the things that I'm going to use to connect to another alcoholic woman and to give her hope when she gets here like I did and think that no one's going to understand that there's um, no, you know, I am in the grips of alcohol and I am screwed. And that, that, that right there just tells you, beautiful. Um, okay, so now we're moving on to step 10. We're on page 84. This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any mistakes as we go along. So um, just a, a little bit of a recap. So when we do um, the fourth four step and fifth step with our sponsor, right? And then um, we go, after we finish our fifth step, then we immediately do six and seven. And then you do eight and you start on your amends. But as soon as you make that first amends, um, you're able to start step 10. And 10, 11, and 12, just as a little note here, 
is where I'm going to live. This is where I'm going to grow in this program. And so step 10 is essentially four through nine, all in one. It says, um, we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. And that is our amends. We entered the world of the spirit. The next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. And I'm going to, in my book, I have the word um, should marked out. It will continue for a lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them because he's the one with the power. I'm not. We discuss them with someone immediately. That's my sponsor and make amends if we have harmed anybody, then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. Okay, so there's a 10-step process right there. Something crops up, we go to God, call our sponsor, and go help somebody. Wash, rinse, repeat. That's my life mantra right there. If I have any of these things pop up, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear, not if, but when, because they do on a regular, um, then I just, that's how I do it. And it's pretty cool because, um, that's where I'm going to grow because I'm going to continue to see my part in things and I'm going to be able to, um, start to, my sponsor is going to start showing me how I show up to life. And she's learned a lot of that in my system. Says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol for by this time we have returned. And this is the 10 step promises. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If if tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor we are afraid. That is our experience. This is how we react. And here's the key to this. So long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So here I've gone, right? Um, working the steps. Have I've already had a spiritual awakening. Um, for myself, and that's my experience. But if I keep keep house clean, like it says in step 10, you know, in that process we went over, it says I say in this place of neutrality. And that's so true. Like, I don't think about it. I don't not think about it. I don't, <clears throat> I don't worry about the other, if the other person's, <clears throat> I'm so sorry, you guys. I don't worry if the other person is drinking or not. I don't worry about those things. I'm just here to be of constant, the constant thought of others, to show up for life. But here is a little bit of um, the warning on page 85, the first full paragraph. It says, it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. I cannot rely on yesterday's yays. Just because I did it yesterday doesn't mean anything today, right? Because it's already told me back on the page before that, that this is for a lifetime. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not cured of alcoholism. What we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every day is a day. We must carry the vision of God's will 
into all of our activities. And this is, um, I love this daily prayer. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. And if I say that once a day, I say it at least 20 times a day on a good day and maybe 50 on a bad day. Um, because I, I've been running my life for so long, it, it just takes time. This is um, why these steps, they say it's progress, not perfection. And step one is the only one I have to have 100%, thankfully, because I'm going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. Um, but, but if I continue every day and carry the vision of God's will into my activities, into my life, and then when that doesn't happen, I say, God, get me out of the way. Your will, not mine, be done. Then I'm, then I'm slowly, slowly, um, and, and even at seven years sober, I can tell you that <laughs> it nothing changes. I've got a, um, a chronic progressive illness that keeps showing up all the time. I've got a, I've got a mental illness, right? Because that's the second part of the disease model for alcoholism. And so this is, a, this is something we we'll have to do every day. It says we can exercise our willpower along this line as, as we wish. It is a proper use of the will. So it's meaning, meaning I still have a lot of, 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 you know, abilities, but I've got to do them along God's will. So as much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we begin to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. But we must go further, and that means more action. We must go further, right? Step 10 is amazing because I keep my side of the street clean, but there's more action. So here's step 11. It says, um, step 11 suggests prayer meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter. When I got here, I was super shy about it. I mean, my, my sponsor would say, get on your knees. And I think, oh, my gosh, you want me to get on my knees? That sounds so, – oh, this – it made me really uncomfortable. Um, it says better men than we are using it constantly. It works if we have the proper attitude and work at it. We, it, would, it would be easy to be vague about this matter, yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. All right, so now I'm about to go through the evening meditation or at, um, when it says we retire at night. And then below that, I'm going to read the, the morning meditation. So right here, immediately, I get a guide for how to start my day and how to end my day. And this is gold. This, If you know me or if I work with you and I sponsor you, you know that I live by the morning and evening meditation. So here we go. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. Were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be just discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or were we thinking about what we could do for others? Of what we could pack into the stream of life? But we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection. For that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. And this is so cool because, right, I'm doing 10 step. I'm 10 stepping um, that process we talked about two pages ago um, on a regular basis. 
but there's going to be times when I forget or when I don't notice I needed to 10-step about it. And so this is just a big insurance policy. Before I go to bed, I just review it my day one more time, right? Um, so I'm going, and, and then and then I'm going to um, pray about it. It says we ask God to His forgiveness, inquire what which which we should be take, which action should be taken, and then we go to bed. And if I wake up in the morning and I've got something I need to do, and God's giving me some insight on the next steps, and I do that. Um, says, okay, and then here's the morning meditation. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct, to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Under these conditions, we can employ our mental faculties with assurance. For after all, God gave us brains to use. Our thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when our thinking is cleared of wrong motives. In thinking about our day, we may may face indecision. We may not be able to determine which course to take. Here we ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. We relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. And and um, I've heard it said before, and I'm going to say it here just for the sake of, of making sure I don't miss this big point, which is this is the only part in the book that says relax and take it easy, right? Like my sponsor. I, I wanted what she had. I said, I want you to sponsor me. And we got through the work quickly. Um, but this is where I'm going to um, let God in. I'm, I'm, you know, prayer and meditation. One, one is where I'm talking to God and one's where I'm listening. And I got to start to learn how to listen. We are often surprised how the right answer comes after we have tried this for a while. What used to be the hunch or the occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. Being still in experience and having just made conscious contact with God, it is not probable we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption in all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. So, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm starting to do this process, and I'm, and I'm still running it on my will, and sometimes I end up doing some really crazy things, but I'm starting to learn that, that that's a, just a guide for me to get back into the program, right? Like, and it's cool because it's almost like a little um, compass. I, I, I look at it as a compass. Um, if, if I start doing things and there are some wonky results and, and it, says, calls it, it says absurd actions, which is exactly what it is, it's time to move back to the program, you know? Um, we usually conclude the period of meditation with a prayer that we be shown all through the day what our next step is to be, that we be given whatever we need to take care of such problems. We ask especially for fear from self-will and are careful to make no requests for ourselves only. We may ask for ourselves, however, if others will be helped. We are careful never to pray for our own selfish ends. And I have that last part of that sentence underlined because I have been living on my will and wanting what I want for so long that I, it has to spill it out in black and white for Tina to never pray for my own selfish ends. Many of us have wasted a lot of time doing that, and it doesn't work. You can easily see why. If circumstances warrant, we ask our wives or friends to join us in morning meditation. If we belong to a religious domination which requires a definite morning devotion, we attend to that also. 
If not members of religious bodies, we sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers, which emphasize the principles we have been discussing. There are many helpful books also. Suggestions about these may be obtained from our priest, minister, or rabbi. Be quick to see where religious people are right. Make use of what they offer. So, you know, a lot of us get here and, and we, we are a part of um, a church or we have our religious beliefs that are, in, in, but those are going to run parallel, right, to the spiritual program. It's not going to replace it because it says in here the word also. We attend to that also. Um, and I know me and, and some other women that, that I know in the program, we do have some meditation books and we do have things that we use. Um, as we grow and we want to become, and that's a cool part about it, is I'm always growing, right? That we use that um, complement my my meditation, but it never replaces this book, okay? As we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action. That has to be my number one tool that I have used for my toolbox, pause. We constantly remind ourselves we are no longer running the show, humbly saying to ourselves many, many times each day, thy will be done, not mine. We are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, or foolish decisions. We become much more efficient. We do not tire so easily, for we are not burning up energy foolishly as we did when we were trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. And there you go. There's that payoff, right? There's that little further explanation of the absurd actions that was mentioned. It works. It really does. We alcoholics are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us in the simple way we have just outlined. But this is not all. There's action and more action. Faith without works is dead. The next chapter is entirely devoted to, to step 12. And remember, we just studied the chapter called Into Action, and I love um, that this is a program of action and not a program of thinking or feeling because I have a mental illness. My mind's trying to take me out, and so um, this program shows us we live in action. So thank you. Thank you for listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book Workshop. This recording is not associated with any AA group or AA world services. Find out more at ladiesbigbook.com.